0: Hello and welcome back to Searching Inward, a podcast brought to you by Restore Small Groups here in Nashville, Tennessee. i um, George Stahl joined with uh, Scott Real and Anna Bryant and Seth Abram and we are glad to have you back joining us here for another episode. Today we want to talk about letting go of your attachments. Let's begin by returning to uh, a story that Scott wrote in Journey to Freedom about a television program that showed a method for trapping monkeys. The natives made a hole in a log and put bait inside, but the hole was just big enough to allow the monkeys' room to get their hand inside of it. When the monkeys reached in to get the bait, they couldn't get their clenched fist back through the hole, so they were stuck. But the monkeys were determined to hang on to what they had, And soon we're captured and trapped by something they refuse to detach from. Crazy, right? Because they are only trapped by an idea, not physically trapped. They only need to open their hand and run, but they hang on to the fruit to their own detriment. Scott, we hang on to things to the detriment of our own souls and we're unwilling to let go. Um, but why is, why is letting go so difficult for us? Why is it difficult for the monkeys? But um, And we can make this a story about the monkeys, but the truth is yeah. we we struggle with letting go of things too, don't we?
1: That is the human condition, I really believe, that our desires get captured, as Gerald May says. We all are born and have this inborn desire for love and basically for love of God. But when it gets captured by something else, or attached to, whether it's a behavior, whether it's a, it's a an accomplishment, it's a, it's just some something I believe that I have to have in life it's, It could be vanity, it could be money, success, a relationship, it could be anything. I this is what I, that the desire I have has been captured by this. When this is it, this is like the monkey, and I and I will not let go of it. And so what happens to us is that—and I think this is really important in Gerald Mays' book, which is where I got all this information from in the beginning, Addiction and Grace. He says that that desire gets captured, and that he's the one who said the definition of an addiction is control. So the fear, that's what I really believe is at at the center of this. We fear that if I do not have this, I'm out of control. And I know how Richard Rohr says that fear is that feeling of being out of control when we cannot control something, when we feel fear and the anxiety that comes from that. And so that's why we fiercely cling to it, even though I know it may not be good for me. I need to let it go. I'm terrified to let it go because I don't know what would take its place. And we'll never really experience freedom and the ability to experience the love of Christ. I believe in His fullest unless, we're, unless we let go. And so... I just think that it's important to our listeners that we all have something that is our idol, is our attachment, is what is our false belief that I have to have this, I must have this.
0: How do you and, know it's an attachment? Is it is it something that we become so fixated on that you know we're consumed by it? And because there are good attachments too, right? And then there are attachments perhaps that in some way we're so fixated on that we're missing out on, on other things. But yeah, but how how do, how how do we define what a healthy attachment and a and an attachment that's I, detrimental to us?
1: I heard this this year that it said that whatever we pursue constantly, ultimately we worship. Hmm. It owns us. And I think that for me has been the greatest definition. If I can let it go and and not be filled with anxiety and know that I've already— have this fulfillment through my relationship with God and the love and that grace, um, I'm able to enter into life with my hands open instead of clenched fists of just clinging fiercely in desperation and fear. Um, you know, and what I've always heard is that if I don't get this, if I lose this, and the whole bottom of my life falls out, that's pretty much an example. It ex- is exposed, I have an attachment. Another word you could use is just dependencies, but in Melanie's baby book, her, her book on the on codependency, she has a chapter on detachment, which is one of the greatest chapters of any book I've ever read. Hmm. And she says we even have to let go of the hope of obtaining whatever that attachment is. That's how powerful it cling we cling to it. Um, I got but letting go is a process. That some of us may be involved in for the rest of our lives, um, but there can't be freedom.
2: When I think of attachments, you know, we talk about important attachments too, right? So I, I think it's maybe helpful to just clarify for listeners, because there is like secure attachments. There is the value of attaching in a healthy way, mm-hmm. yeah. and then there's unhealthy attachments. You know, when when we kind of overdo it and be, we become dependent, right? So um, and so I think it's important to just um, bring some clarity to that. But, but I think of, of at least from one angle, an unhealthy attachment as like an, a habitual routine for emotional regulation, um, that keeps me stuck in my lower capacity. Mm. Like, um, I just, I forget where I first heard this, but auto regulation or self regulation. Uh, This is something that I struggled with as a kid when I felt unsafe around my peers. And, um, uh, criticized or or something felt threatening around other people. I ha- I did not—I was not—it didn't feel safe for me to co-regulate with other people. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I learned to auto or self-regulate with unhealthy routines and habits. Um, but that was, for me, um, an unhealthy attachment. And so I used whatever was in front of me um, in a routine way to help me regulate the way I was—had um, be- become dysregulated by my peers— mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So that's that's an I think an unhealthy attachment, just a habitual routine for emotional regulation. As opposed to what I've also heard Scott say, a healthy attachment is something that can come and go and doesn't limit my human freedom. Mm. Wow. You've heard Scott say that? Yes. I wanted to make sure I attributed correctly. (laughs) You're quoting Scott today, your boss. (laughs) (laughs) But along with that, so I think it it's like it comes with a sense of agency. Mm-hmm. Um, of being in relationship with whatever that thing or person yeah, is. yeah
0: I, I love Seth you' it, it's interesting that attachment can be something outside of us, someone else, but mm-hmm. you were kind of naming an attachment to, you know coming from within inside. like I'm protecting myself. and so and I uh, Dispensa in this day, you quoted him, Scott, and he says your your past shortfalls can be traced at their root to one major oversight you haven't committed yourself to living by the truth that your thoughts have consequences so great that they create your reality. And that's kind of what happens when we get stuck in this loop that we're, you know we're creating a reality of like the monkeys, we're trapped. <laughs> and um we just can't see the way to become untrapped. And Anna, maybe you could speak to this, but cuz detaching from an attachment can create anxiety because it is letting go of some illusion of security or control or actual security or control that we've become maybe overly dependent upon. But we fiercely cling to those things because we actually think that it is a true security, but maybe it's a false security. Can you speak to maybe that just how that creates anxiety, even let go of an attachment?
3: Yeah. I was actually having a really uh, interesting conversation with one of my, my good friends, just about some of these concepts, um, just last night, actually, we were just talking about how as we grow, and we age and we have to really begin to change and adjust what it is that we're, we're attached to. And I think um, like we were talking about specifically just like as, as women, we're often communicated to that our value is in our appearance or in how we make people mm. feel. So whether we are pleasing to look at or pleasing to be with, like that is where our value is wrapped up in, right? That is where we, um, our attachments lie. And that really in midlife becomes, begins to become unraveled because as um, as we age and our outward beauty fades and there's nothing we can really do about that, we like that attachment kind of is being taken from us, partly you know, out of our control, well, then also there's this this unbelievable thing that happens in midlife where um, you really become a little bit more secure in who you are and you begin to recognize, hey, I have value and my value doesn't solely lie in how I make other people feel and the way that I have been living to people, please to carry the burdens of others to the neglect of my own self. It's it's untenable anymore. I can't I can't carry it anymore. And so that attachment also has to be laid down. And it's it is it's a very disorienting thing to say, like, if I have been taught that my my value is in my appearance and in how I make people feel and I'm beginning to let go of both of those things, partly because one, you can't control your your the aging process. And two, partly because the way that you have been coping and, and, and learning to find acceptance and attachment is through serving others. And you realize like this burden is so heavy, I cannot carry it anymore. So you have to let go of that just for your own survival. Um, And it's just part of your natural evolution. Then you're like, okay, well then where, where does that leave me? Like what, where's my value? Where's my identity? Because these things that I've carried and been told are the sum total of my worth are slowly being stripped away. But it's, it's terrifying, honestly, to, to like be able to like say, Hey, I, I actually am not going to put you first in this. And you may not like me anymore because I I don't have like my my outward appearance that is as pleasing as it maybe once was. And I I know that sounds really overly dramatic. But as you begin to to change, your physical person has changed. It's really hard to kind of accept that, like, oh, my gosh, like I'm I'm never going to look like I'm 20 again. And if if how I looked when I was 20 is what people were drawn to and the way that I made people feel when I was 20 and 30 and 40 by just overly accommodating people and I can't do that anymore man that's what I've attached myself to my identity my worth my value uh, my whole being and now you're having to let go of it it's terrifying and exhilarating at the same time
0: so some of the anxiety is the belief that there maybe isn't a more secure attachment that the false attachments maybe we're holding on to or the attachments that served us up to a particular point you know some kind of change or shift in life that that is no longer a secure attachment but in some ways the anxiety is the belief that you know i could let go of this and maybe find something that's more helpful and secure
3: that's the hope but it's really when you don't know what that is and you don't again if, if you're late in life reinventing yourself and you don't have secure attachments and to and you've always known that this is the way you get them right by either being pleasing physically or being like how you make people feel like being nice right and then you're like holy crap where does where does that leave me do i have secure attachments moving forward or not it's an it's it's a leap of faith (laughs)
0: maybe maybe if we could each maybe name uh, a particular uh, false attachment that you know, we're growing in. Um, I'll start with me. I have this attachment. I just I want people to think I'm smart <laughs> and competent. You know, one of the things that I've had to let go of that, you know, I'm um, I'm not as impressive as I would hope I would be. <laughs> and so, uh, but no, like holding on to that, like the the struggle of trying to be so perfect that you know you feel like you're going to win everyone over, or you're going to show people how smart and how perfect you are it's just exhausting. And, and it wears me out. And one of the ways that I'm trying to grow is free myself from that and go, wow, it's okay to be as unoppressive as I actually am. Like, that's actually a pretty good thing. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that, that's a place I'm trying to free myself. Um, how about you guys? What?
3: Well, George, can I just affirm yeah. that, like, what we have seen in group and what we see over and over again is like, it is the unimpressiveness it is the failures and the shortcomings and the limitations and the humanity that we witness in one another that really does draw mm-hmm. people to each other it's so hard to really connect and relate with somebody who on nobody's perfect but people that try so hard on on the outward front to shore up all of their weaknesses, man, it's so hard to identify with somebody like that or relate or connect on a deep level. I think it just feeds other people's insecurities when we put that out there. So the fact that you're Mm -hmm. coming to terms with like, hey, I'm, I'm just an average person. I think that is actually where the impressive beauty comes from, because that's what draws people in like, hey, George is a cool guy and he's a smart guy and he is wise, but he's human, right? He's not In some unattainable place that I could never get to, Mm. he's a regular person just like me.
0: Thank you. I've never felt so uplifted being called average.
3: (laughs) (laughs) But we all are,
0: right? Coming from Anna, it just—we're all human. (laughs) It lifted my soul. I just loved it.
1: That was the big line in the TV show *MASH*. Frank Burns. There was, oh, Frank, you're so above average. You know. And he'd be like, "Oh, thank you." You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, is there any?
0: Would it be helpful? Is there any other attachments that would be helpful for our listeners to hear the names that they might be able to identify?
1: I, th- I think I see one. I hear all the time, especially from participants in our groups and friends, is that that they're attached to this belief that that they're not enough,
0: mm.
1: and that somehow through accomplishments. Success, um, physical attractiveness, mental intelligence, attractive being just they have to be more than they are mm. to, because they believe if they're just exposed as who they just are, then you would, you know, realize they're not enough. Mm. And uh, so, I, and that would be the attachment for me is like, I have to be so much more than I am to be attractive to people that left alone to my own inadequacies and weaknesses, you you would find those unattractive. And, and somehow we must attract the desire to be loved. It's not just an innate who we are. And that's where the freedom of being vulnerable and exposing those things and just And then, especially in a small group where the people say, well, we love you just, we see you for who you are, your core self, and that is plenty for us to love. Um, That's why I think small groups are such a powerful place for that process to occur. And it is a process. We're just not going to rid ourselves of these attachments overnight. And in the 12 steps, they kind of refer to them as character defects, things that we have gone to to cope in our lives and what are we coping we're coping that somehow i'm not lovable as i am and that's the message of shame
0: seth um when you were uh not able to co-regulate with others and uh, first of all the awareness that you were you know you were doing this all in your own head and couldn't find a safe place to you know to process that with process that with others was it helpful when you found other people that you could you could do that with
2: oh for sure yeah i mean so for me it was the problem was that i couldn't find connection meaningful connection just being truly myself yeah. with other people and so i had to try and find it somewhere else i see
0: yeah yeah so mm-hmm. you,
2: and so so i would even say like one of the most noticeable things for me When um, I started doing groups consistently, because I could compare and contrast when I was in a regular group consistently, and then we would take a break, and then we'd be back in a group, there were um, the weeks that I was in a group, um, I wouldn't, I would be less searching for things to try and fill me because I was finding meaningful connection with others. And in, in the weeks that I was not in a group consistently, I was using things, I was using attachments more so to try and fill that that space for connection that I wasn't getting. Yeah, does it make sense? Yeah. So, so I, I think a lot of this has to do with similarly to what Spinardi said, but coping with it's, it's a way to cope with lack and the unknown. Hmm. Um, I feel in, the word Scott used, I, I resonate with so deeply, but in inadequacy. I don't have what it takes to fully show up to life. I'm missing something that most people seem to get from somewhere, from growing up or from school, and I didn't get those those things from those places. And so I'm showing up with something other people don't seem to have, so I feel a lack especially with other people. And mm-hmm. the the unknown, like well, if I so let me just say so information for me, information consumption especially as an adult has been one of the primary ways that I cope with my lack in my inadequacy mm-hmm. and and I try and fill that in- inadequacy or that void to av- or sorry I've tried to fill that inadequacy to avoid the unknown
0: mm-hmm. yeah. like
2: If I don't have if I don't have the information that helps me feel competent, well, what happens? What could? What's what's down the way? I don't want to go there. I'd rather just avoid the unknown of, of potentially showing up in an ad- inadequate way and not knowing what to say, you know, unprepared. So for me, this is about lack and the unknown and how I don't want to do either one of those. I don't want to embrace either yeah, one. Yeah,
0: I, I think, um, and that kind of takes us to where we kind of want to talk and land with this is uh, how do we let go of attachments? Well, we become more vulnerable. Like that's, Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. the way to, to actually begin to let go of things. But, um, you know, I was just thinking how, how hard it is to do that on our own. And I mean, it's, it's what we preach all the time. It's what restore is all about. You know, there are other places of community that can, help us free ourselves of, of our attachments. Like I just don't know how you do it all by yourself. And to to Seth's point, sometimes it's the people that are in our immediate circle, you know, they're not they're not the place to process it. They're the unsafe place. They're unhealthy. That's what we, we feel that intuitively that this isn't a safe place to do it. But how important it is is that we bring ourselves to a place where there is that kind of safe community, whether that's a person or a group of people, uh, a counselor a pastor you know the, to really free ourselves you guys is is it we really do need the help of other people
1: it's, it's, i think it's impossible because our perspective is is skewed when it's just me in isolation i need you to reflect to me what i cannot see alone mm-hmm. that's a divine mirror that we have often talk about of the secure attachment of the group but i just want to the listeners to know, it to me, this is one of the most spiritual revealing truths that we come from love is that that desire that is so powerful in us to be loved, it gets captured. That's what attachments are. And, and we're terrified to let them go. And so exposing those truths to others and hearing from them and receiving from them the empathy and the connection and the love that we Afraid we won't have if we let that our guard down. That's where the transformation takes place.
0: Yeah. I mean, Scott, you said in this day, unless we're willing to be known, nothing changes. And that's kind of what what we're inviting people to is that and and it is part partly it's knowing yourself too, right? Like Seth, you have to do that inner work. So it's not like you're not doing your own soul work of of knowing yourself. But if you're unwilling to be known outside of yourself, it really makes change, um, you know, really difficult. And, and I think you uh, you quoted um, Kurt Thompson. He yeah. says to be known um, means that you allow your shame and guilt to be exposed in order to be healed. So, but listen, none of us are comfortable with vulnerability, especially when we've been wounded or hurt or you know, have never had an experience of a safe place to share that shame and that guilt with where it wouldn't be used against us in some way, but it would be exposed in a way that actually helps us heal like Kirk Thompson is talking about. So how do we find the courage to move into this vulnerability when it probably isn't the most natural instinct, even though our hearts desire it?
3: I think a small group is a great place yeah. to start, friends. It is, <laughs> yeah. it is so intentionally paced So that you're not walking in the door the first night sharing all of your gross, deepest, darkest skeletons in the closet. Our curriculum has been very intentionally created to it's almost like a flower opening up, right? Those Mm -hmm. petals just gently unfold a little bit at a time until you see this beautiful bloom. And that is what happens in a small group, right? You walk in the room and you are greeted by a bunch of strangers and nobody knows one another and everybody's kind of like what in the heck are we here for through the just the beautiful way that our curriculum has been created you 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 gradually grow to know one another you gradually expose pieces and parts of your story until you really are able to become more fully vulnerable in a way that feels natural, that doesn't feel forced, that doesn't feel uncomfortable, you begin to build trust and secure attachments within that group. And so I think if that is not if, if secure attachments or a safe place to process and be vulnerable is not a part of your story or a part of your immediate uh, relationships in your family of origin, or in your friend circle, or in your faith community, a restore small group might be just the place for you to start.
0: You heard it here from Anna, and of course, we preach groups, right? <laughs> That's what we're all about. Um, it's what energizes us because we actually, you guys, actually do witness people finding uh, freedom from their attachments when they can find that safe place. So, if you have that friends, if you have that kind of community and those people in your life, then then get at it. Get you know, get the work of of letting go of those attachments and freeing yourself. But if you don't, there are uh, groups and experiences like Restore, so we'd love for um, you to experience that here. But let's end with this because, Scott, I love this, and I'd like to know what you mean by this, and and would love, Anna and Seth, you guys, to to hear what you think Scott means by this or what this means to you hearing Scott say this. But he says, We must feel secure in God's love to move into the place of vulnerability. So not only do we need to be doing some of the soul work ourselves, putting ourselves in places of safe community where we could do that work with others, but Scott, you're talking about the kind of love that we can't give ourselves or, you know, we can't find from others. There's some kind of divine love that we can be most vulnerable. And what, yeah, what, what what do you mean by that? Well, I think I know, but.
1: It it, it goes back 25 years ago when I first read Addiction and Grace by Gerald May. And he said that grace is the most powerful force in the universe. And it's taken me twenty-some years to really fully comprehend what he was saying there until I've experienced it. And that's and that's this, that that God loves me just as I am, where I am, with whatever that is, um, with all my mistakes, all my flaws, all my weaknesses, all the and I think of all the some of the things I've done that I would never, ever want anyone to know. And God yet knows them, and and invites me. And in. but I want to say that I believe that the small group that is intimate and close and very safe creates an environment for grace to to freely mm. flow. And we often use the word we experience universality for the first time, which is, I'm not alone. And so, like the prodigal son, you know, I feel like in a group, God comes sprinting after me. Mm. You know. That you're home, your home. Let me tell you how much I love you. And that can only happen as I believe is what Thompson is saying in being fully exposed, fully known to be healed. Well, just I was gonna say, and Gerald May says that that ultimate transformation ends with the com- consecration where God invites us to come home. You're loved just as you are.
0: Love that. Sethany, do you have any, anything to add? We must feel secure in God's love to move into the place of vulnerability. What, what do you think that means for you, or, or how you experience that in groups?
2: I think of how you know talking about the the healthy attachment, like a secure attachment, when we're talking about you know how it's defined by those four S's from Dan Siegel: safe, seen, sooth, and secure. Mm-hmm. And how when our parents are not able to perfectly you know, meet our needs. No parent on earth can do that. And this means that it's inevitable that there are parts of us that we grow up with that feel unacceptable. Mm. And so those are the parts of us that I think we feel most afraid to um, share with the world. And um, I think of the, the, there's a quote from, uh, I think it's William James, who says something like, Um, We're all placed on this earth for a little while to learn how to bear the beams of love Mm. and to learn that there's no part of me that's not lovable, that can't be accepted. And I think our, our small group process is kind of, in a really beautiful way, an expression of, I think, one of the most elusive but healing aspects of the experience of God, a full, complete loving witness without judgment. Um, and, I, and so I think in my mind, this is what healing is. it's being able to receive love for all of our parts, whether they feel acceptable or not and, and I think this is what this is why we have to be vulnerable because we can we, we give ourselves the risk we risk the, the potential of not being loved but we also risk the potential of being fully
0: accepted. Wow that's beautiful. very helpful. Anna, you're the only person that could possibly add to that.
3: I just think um, depending on what your narrative of who God is and how he views humanity, or you in particular, being able to maybe let go of some less than helpful beliefs of the wretchedness of man. And depending on your um, your upbringing, you may not have that belief. And some people I know, um, that's been deeply ingrained in their psyche. And I think being able to come to terms with like, we are created beings who were created out of divine love and something created out of divine love is not anything that could ever be bad. Right. I mean, it's not perfect. We're not, div- we're, you know, we aren't divinity. We aren't divine beings ourselves. We're not God, but we are created from Him and we have His essence in us. And how could, how could that ever be bad? Right. And so Absolutely. just embracing that we are loved and accepted and that God has given us free will and the capacity to learn and that there is, there is not. Judgment for not knowing what we don't know. If we were supposed to know what we, you know, without making mistakes along the way, it makes no sense, right? So just accepting exactly who we are um, as we have been created and knowing that we are loved wholeheartedly. <laughs> and also I'm dying to know what is cracking Seth Abram up right I now because he got like, himself <laughs> muted and is
2: rolling on he... the floor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. Oh man. I don't know what I don't know why. Anna, as you said, the wretchedness of man. I was just thinking, <laughs> What about women? Oh. You're the one that took that you took you took the bite of the apple first. Yes. It's all
3: it is all fault. And then I was
2: just maintaining holding that information. You... And for some reason I could not keep it down. I just kept on it growing and growing. It. She said that right at the beginning it. and you
0: laughed the whole
3: <laughs> the wretchedness of mankind. Yeah. Well, hey, I'm so sorry. Um, I was fr- I, yeah, I was I was very much raised in a very patriarchal uh, no, church tradition bad. and you're right. <laughs> it's it's all woman's fault. Everything- We're all
0: wretched folks. We're all wretched. <laughs>
2: It just snowballed in
0: me, and I could Seth is making that it, point. So. We were we, this started it. about the love of God, and it's <laughs> digressed into how wretched and men like, and women is are. is all of humanity. I mean, everything God created is wretched. Come on,
1: we just lost a thousand listeners.
3: All right,
0: this podcast just fell apart quickly. We just
3: tanked it. I'm so right. sorry. Uh,
0: the wretchedness. So, friends, don't run from vulnerability. I think we're learning and all of us and are inviting you to know that we lose a part of ourselves when, uh, when we do so. So, and don't keep holding on like the monkey. We're not calling any of you monkeys, but don't hold on like the monkey to an idea that is obviously trapping you in some way or holding you back from being more free to live the life you were made to live more joyfully. It is only a fixed mindset. So it's simply this, let go, let go. And if you can't do that by yourself, once you reach out to Restore, we'd love to help. So reach out to us. You can visit us online at RestoreSmallGroups.org to learn more about groups you can join or books you could read or different resources that could be helpful to you on this journey. But remember this, over every mountain, there is a path and the future rewards those who discover it and press on. So stay on the path, let go and take care friends.
2: Hey, it's Seth. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Searching Invert podcast. If you've enjoyed listening or have benefited in any way from the podcast, we would love for you to come alongside and join us in the mission to bring hope and healing to the world. By considering becoming a monthly giver of even $5, you're making a huge impact in the ways that we are able to serve. So please consider giving by going to restoresmallgroups.org slash donate. Thanks.